What's it all for? If you're anything like me, you come to church outside these last few weeks and at times have asked yourself, what am I doing here? What is our church doing here? What's it all for? If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're probably not asking questions about our church, but I wonder if this pandemic has provoked you to ask basic questions about your life. Like, what's the point of it? Why do you exist? What's it all for? Whether Christian or not, sometimes the point of some people's lives seem more clear to us. Uh, Some folks obviously have their thing in life, something they're about or they're so good at, and everyone knows it. Uh, For instance, meet Stephanie, a former banker on Wall Street who had everything in life except Jesus. And Stephanie was okay with that. Uh, The last thing on her mind was becoming a Christian, uh, and no one expected her to. She was too rich to be bothered with Jesus. If you remember our sermon on John 6, Stephanie would have been someone's evangelistic, yeah, right. But one day a friend of Stephanie's worked up the courage to share the gospel with her. And Stephanie believed it. And her life changed. She gave away all her money. She moved to Africa where she dug wells and set up financial infrastructures that gave medical institutions stability in barren regions. Stephanie has won a bunch of humanitarian awards since and now travels and speaks about her work. And if you were to look at Stephanie's life and ask, what's it all for? Uh, What mattered most about it? The answer would be pretty clear. Uh, Those great things she had done in Jesus' name. What about your life? What's the greatest thing about it? Is the answer clear? Like Stephanie's. Friends, keep these questions in mind when we look at Ephesians 2. Before we turn there, though, let me briefly explain the article from our statement of faith we're considering today of grace and regeneration. This church believes in the grace of regeneration. Regeneration is a big word that means to be born again, as Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. Why do we need to be born again? Because to enter God's kingdom, we must be spiritually alive. But all people are born spiritually dead. Kids, when we read Ephesians today, look for the parts that say we were dead in our trespasses. A trespass is another word for sin, and sin is a summary of our fallen human condition and the wrong things we do because of it. In other words, all our hearts are messed up. Uh, What we naturally worship isn't God, but something else, and so we rightly deserve to be barred from God's kingdom and under his wrath forever. To be regenerated, then, is to receive a new heart by the Holy Spirit's work, a work without which our faith in Jesus and obedience to Jesus would not be possible. How the Spirit does this reviving work exactly is a mystery, as our article humbly says, That said, we know the Holy Spirit uses the truth of God's word to bring about new life. And isn't that what we saw in Stephanie? New life. An impressive life. 
What's it all for? Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians is the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, an ancient city in Turkey. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians to explain how big of a deal Jesus was, that he was Lord of all, and that they get to be united to him and therefore each other by virtue of their trusting in him. But the Ephesians didn't always trust in Jesus. What was their life like before they did, before they were regenerated? Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. Let's read it now, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Friends, we're looking at Ephesians 2, specifically verses 4 to 7, so we can think about regeneration. But it would be a shame to learn about regeneration, but miss the glory of this passage. In other words, regeneration is only good news when we understand what regeneration is for. What's it all for? Christian, why did God regenerate you? Two answers. Number one, because God loved you greatly. Why did God regenerate you? Answer number one, because God loved you greatly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Friends, ours is not a tyrant God, a heavy-handed, tight-fisted, big, meanie God, an emotionally, relationally impoverished God, but a rich God, verse 4 says. Nowhere else does the Bible describe God as rich in anything. But here we see he is rich in mercy, in love. Did you see the text didn't just say God has love for you, but great love. Friends, this is why we want to think about what regeneration is for. Because to focus only on regeneration, the miraculous act of it, is like reading the book of Jonah and focusing on the fish. But the fish is not the point. The miracle is not the point. The point is what the miracle is for. A fish brought Jonah to the Ninevites so that God's unstoppable spirit could work in the hearts of the worst sinners so they could receive God's mercy. Not his middle class mercy, but his rich mercy. And the same God 
who sent a grumpy prophet to Nineveh is the same God who sent the prophet Ezekiel to tell an exiled people his spirit would give them new hearts. And the same God who sent a strange prophet in the exile is the same God who sent his only son, the true and greatest prophet, Jesus. Jesus lived a perfectly pleasing life to God, the life you and I should have lived, but for one problem, we were spiritually dead. And though Jesus lived perfectly, he bore the wrath sinners deserved on the cross. There, Jesus died in the place of sinners, and he was raised to life three days later, so that anyone who turns from their sins and trusts in him would be forgiven of their sins. And the same God, who so loved the world that he sent his only son, is the same God whose spirit has worked in the lives of hundreds of people I'm now preaching to. The spirit has taken your heart of stone, given you a heart of flesh, so you would turn to Jesus in faith. And why has this same God delighted to do the same life-giving work throughout history? Because he loved sinners greatly. Because he loves you greatly. I wonder if there's someone here today who is hearing for the first time, God loved you. If that's you, turn from your rebellion against him. I know you might not think you rebel against God. right? You might say, "I I don't reject God. I just kind of leave him be, and I do my own thing. But my friend, ignoring God is rejecting God. Stop that. Trust in what Jesus did in your place. And if you do, know it's because God's Spirit has worked in you, a work he happily does because God loved you greatly. You'll notice in this first point, I'm speaking of God's love in the past tense. And I'm saying that because that's what the Bible says. Did you see that in verse 4? The Bible speaks of the great love with which God loved, past tense, us. Uh, The scripture says that not because God has stopped loving us, but to make clear that he did love us before we were lovely. Uh, Friends, isn't God's great love even greater when we remember that God doesn't love us because of our own loveliness. After all, we had no loveliness. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Uh, Friends, God loved you even when you were spiritually dead. Not after you tried to clean up yourself, but even when you were doing what you wanted, even when it was diametrically opposed to what he wanted. This is why in verse 5, the next thing Paul says after talking about God's regenerating work is that it's by grace we have been saved. This is why article 7 is titled, Of Grace in Regeneration. That's not a random title. In 1833, when article 7 was written, cats weren't just like, oh, let's call it this. No, they understood that regeneration was a a divine work which we did not initiate or deserve. In other words, they understood it was of grace. 
And so you could enjoy even more of this grace. God's Spirit would give you a new heart because God loved you greatly. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says. And this is all well and good, you might say. But what about today? It's nice God loved me, did this great work for me in the past. But what about my today, my tomorrow that's making me anxious? Does regeneration matter for that? Well, friends, God has been kind enough to offer a second reason why he gives life. Christian, why did God regenerate you? Because God plans to keep loving you greatly. Why did God regenerate you? Answer number two, because God plans to keep loving you greatly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, God regenerates so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, friends, let's go on a hike through our passage to make sure we're following Paul's path, because the overlook we'll arrive at is stunning. So in verse 4, we're told of God's great, love, great past love for us. And in verse 5, we're told of his gracious, regenerating work down in our deadness. Verse 6, we don't have time to camp out on, though I'd love to. So much sweetness about our being raised and seated up with Christ in heaven. You can see Hebrews 12 for more on that. But verse 7 is where I want our gaze fixed. Because in our passage, regeneration is a doctrine sandwiched by love. Sandwiched by the, mercies, uh, by the riches of mercy on the front end in verse 4 and the riches of grace on the back in verse 7. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? Do you believe this? Mercy, grace, kindness, immeasurably. That's what awaits you in heaven. God made you and saved you so he could glorify himself by showing you mercy. That's God's plan for you. And hallelujah, God always keeps his plans. He's never had to reschedule. Uh, God is the one being in the universe whose calendar COVID-19 did not disrupt. So my friend, do you wonder how long this pandemic will last? Answer, not as long as God's love. Or brothers and sisters, are, are you afraid to enjoy God's blessings to you? Do you ever feel like the good gifts he gives you? You better not enjoy him too much because they're probably just a sign. God is going to drop some bad things on you soon. Oh, my friend in Christ, your forecast is not partly cloudy with a chance of wrath. No, your forecast is bright with mercy, grace, kindness, immeasurably. And that's what's ahead for you. But maybe you focus on what's behind you. Friend, do you find yourself wrestling with shame over your past sins or mistakes? Do you keep replaying Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 in your mind, how you carried out the passions of your flesh? If you do, brothers and sisters, consider this. Uh, perhaps Satan wants you to dwell on your past because your future is so gloriously bright. After all, it's a, it's a future filled with God's love 
and enjoying God's love is the point of it all. Our entire lives. Earlier I talked about our church and wondering what we're doing here. Don't hear me wrong, beloved. Uh, Franconia has been so gracious to us. Uh, What I'm about to say has nothing to do with Franconia and everything to do with the difficulty of not meeting as we used to be able to. And if I'm honest, it stinks that we can't meet like we used to, doesn't it? And it's tempting to think, what is the point of church right now? It's hot. It's buggy. Uh, We can't do half the things we used to. Church is about growing the faithful, evangelizing the lost, training pastors, don't we nine marks enthusiasts love to say. Oh, beloved, if you've been tempted to think that way, realize what an excellent opportunity we have before us. To be reminded that church isn't primarily about our productivity, but our enjoying and reflecting God's love. We might not be able to do much for God in this season, but we can still reflect him. Even last week, when we were a hot mess, better yet, a wet mess, when the floods came, y'all were reflecting God. Uh, Parents, you were taking care of your kids. Fellas, you were looking out for the ladies. You know, I was tempted to run around like a chicken with my head cut off, but then I saw Steve Boyer being calm, being an adult, taking taking care of Gwen Johnson. Uh, Brothers and sisters, even in that mess, we reflected God. And reflecting his love is why, rain or shine, we want to guard our unity as a church because it reflects this merciful, gracious, and kind God. So I ask, brothers and sisters, have you been like him toward people in our church you struggle with? Merciful, gracious, kind. When you talk about someone behind their back, do you leave your listener with a higher view of that person? God help us. And he will because he loves, he loved us and plans to keep loving us. Uh, Brothers and sisters, if God greatly loved us when we were dead, he will not love us any less today or tomorrow. And that's the greatest thing about us, ultimately, that God loves us. Which brings me back to our friend we met earlier, Stephanie. I think sometimes we listen to a testimony like hers and we leave impressed with all the stuff, all the things she did in life. And no doubt, they are wonderful. Praise God. But I have news for you, friends. What Stephanie does in life is not the point of her life. Something so much better is the fact that God gave her a new heart so she could enjoy his love forever. Brothers and sisters, regeneration in of itself isn't necessarily good news. God could have regenerated us so we could become his slaves or maybe his servants who go around doing lots of stuff for him. But our regeneration is not for the purposes of indentured servitude, but eternal sonship. 
In other words, Christian, God didn't save you so that you could be his worker bee, but so that you could be his child. Your relationship with him isn't about what you can do for him, but enjoying what he has done for you. Uh, The Lord's Supper we're about to celebrate isn't primarily something we do. No, it's something we take for free. We receive the Lord's Supper to remember what God has done for us in love. And his great love is the point of our lives, our passage for today, and therefore our sermon. If I had to summarize this sermon in a sentence, brothers and sisters, it would be this. In love, God gave you a new heart in order to love you forever. In love, God gave you a new heart in order to love you forever. Does this impress you? Does it relieve you? Let's pray. Father, we are in awe that how you glorify yourself primarily is through loving your people. As we come to your table, we will confess our failings, but wherever we fall short, may we remember Christ's every success on our behalf. May we taste and see that you are immeasurably good. May May we receive more of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.